All right, welcome back from lunch, everybody. We're going to get started with this session. My name is Sarah Clark. I'm the Chief Legal Counsel for the Ohio School Boards Association, and I uh, appreciate you all being here for this session. Um, we are going to do a Q&A uh, at the end, and we'll leave time for questions. Uh, there's two mics up here. I'll also walk around the room if you have a question, but if you know you're going to have a question, you might want to move closer to one of the microphones. Um, or enjoy, enjoy the show while I run around with the handheld. <laughs> uh, we um, ask you to silence your cell phone if you haven't already. Uh, at the end of this summit, you will receive an email with a link to evaluate this session, um, as well as an email with the certificate of participation. Uh, there is also an opportunity that they've asked us to pass along for you to in, um, continue to inform and provide learning opportunities um, at leadingourlearners.org. So if you haven't checked that out yet, uh, please do so after the summit. And I do want to just make a quick note to say that this session will actually end at 2.30 instead of 2.45, so we could turn the room around for the general session. So um, you'll, we'll get out a little bit early of, of this session. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Jenny, who's going to kick off the introductions for our first panel. Hey, everybody. I'm Jennifer Harden. I'm the deputy director for uh, the Division of Legal Services at OSBA. And I, I have a whole bunch of pattern jokes that I normally do, but I'm not doing them because we're ending at 2.30. So sorry. See me later. Um, so I'm going to just go down the row and give, let everybody introduce themselves. Jen. I'm Jennifer Hogue. I am the Director of Legislative Services for the Ohio School Boards Association. I'm Anna Miller. I am the School-Based Health Coordinator for the Ohio Department of Education. Good afternoon, everyone. Dr. Jill Jackson, Ohio Department of Education, Office for Integrated Student Supports, and I support your safe and supportive learning, school climate, and prevention and intervention um, activities in Ohio schools. So thank you all very much. Um, Anna and Jill are great resources, so if you have questions, this is an opportunity. In fact, I want you to have plenty of time for questions. So I'm just going to skip through my first uh, five slides, which are just basics. Um, everyone knows that the Student Wellness and Success Fund was created in House Bill 166, which was the last biennial budget bill. If you were not here this morning when the governor spoke, then you don't know that he has committed to uh, doing student wellness and success uh, funds at least in the next budget. In fact, he said he would not sign the next budget if it did not include them. So that's good news for all of us. Um, the funding was originally included in his student wellness, or uh, sorry, in his uh, children's initiative. So it's something he's deeply committed to. It was expanded by the General Assembly from 550 million to 675 million. The disbursements will cover two school years. At this point, uh, school year 19 and 20, the first disbursement was in October, and I understand the second disbursement was last week. So you should all have your money already for this school, uh, the rest of the school year. And then next year is $400 million, which will be dispersed on October 31st, 2020, and February 28th, 2020. If you're a math person, take a look at the statute that establishes the uh, calculations for determining what your peer pupil uh, your per pupil allotments will be, uh, allocations will be. Every district is going to get at least 25,000 this year and at least 36,000 next year. And then uh, the districts will be ranked on the basis of their poverty percentage. And the highest will get uh, 250 per pupil this year, 360 per pupil next year, and then it goes all the way down for, to 20 and 30. Um, 
The last thing I want to mention, and as I said, we're going to, sorry, we're going to talk about each of these things in a little more detail in just a minute. I apologize. It's almost back where I need it to be, is that each district is required to do a, to submit a plan and you're required to have community partners in your plan. Um, and we are going to talk about all of these things in more detail. So at this point, I'd just like to switch things down the table. Yes, so this is Each Child Our Future, Ohio's strategic plan for education, which hopefully um, many in the room are familiar with, but I just wanted to um, point it out because it really puts the whole child at the center of um, center of all things education. And so this, this funding really aligns with supporting the needs of the whole child, which is um, the overarching goal of the office that Jill and I sit in at the, at the department, the Office of Integrated Student Supports. So a lot of our work aligns really well with these funds and some other funding opportunities that we'll get to um, at the end, later in the presentation. Um, so I just wanted to point that out to you guys. Um, but to jump right into the student wellness and success funds, so as Jennifer mentioned, it's $675 million in new funding for traditional districts, community schools, joint vocational school districts, and STEM schools over the biennium. So a lot of school districts were given this funding, which is exciting. Um, and then there are some there are only three major uh, requirements legislated in, with the funding, um, and the main one is that the dollars are utilized for at least one of 11 of the allowable initiatives, which we'll see in a minute, um, and that districts plan for the implementation of their funds with at least one of eight allowable community partners. And the third one is the districts report out on the use of their funds at the end of the fiscal year. So right now there are a couple of resources on our webpage that I'll also point to um, later. There's a guidance document around reporting. So if districts were using that to help inform their planning process, that's really great because most of those questions are making it into the reporting tool that should be available um, next month for everyone to see. So that'll, that'll open up to um, districts to start filling out next month and um, fill out sort of until the end of the fiscal year. So if you have things that you can contribute now, those, that'll open up next month. So then as far as the allowable uses, these are the list of um, 11, and they were left really intentionally open-ended to allow for maximum flexibility at the district level. So um, things on here like physical health care, mentoring programs, community liaisons, you can really get creative in all of these spaces with how the funds are being used. And then um, the next requirement is that districts develop a plan in collaboration with one of the eight allowable community partners. So a lot of these are very sort of specific. Um, so like ESCs, boards of DD, county JFS. But then um, there's one sort of catch-all that leaves this really open for you guys as well, which is a nonprofit organization with experience serving children. So that's where a lot of districts have kind of gotten creative in their partnerships. And then going into more of the calculation and distribution um, information that Jennifer sort of covered, um, districts are getting 275 million this fiscal year and they'll get 400 million next fiscal year. And it's provided on a per pupil basis. Um, 
and then scaled based on federal census poverty data in that sort of um, complicated formula that Jennifer alluded to earlier. If you haven't already seen it, there is, um, there is a portion of the Department of Education webpage that um, shows like the school finance reports and you can look at the exact dollar amount for your district for student wellness funds. Um, yes, so those get paid directly to each district, which is kind of unique. A lot of times funding flows through the state or different county boards. So um, districts will have gotten their most recent payment February 14th. Um, so yeah, those, are, those were distributed October and February of this past year and will be again distributed October and February next year. And um, the funds can be used for existing initiatives and activities as long as they fall within the 11 allowable initiatives. But we really encourage districts to sort of explore new opportunities or expand um, some of the existing work that they're doing in their districts. And again, districts are required to report out on how those funds were spent in the reporting tools. So there will be a couple questions around um, was, was the initiative new? Was it expanded? Um, what phase of the initiative are you in? Um, we recognize that this money is really new, so a lot of people aren't really out of those planning phases, and we don't want to rush anyone. We would really prefer that um, the plans are developed really thoughtfully. So. Um, while the funding is here for two years, if you develop a plan that sort of spans five years, you can continue to use that funding for the next five years. Um, so again, we really are encouraging districts to be really thoughtful and not worry about how they have to report out on the funding this year. We don't expect to see people starting really big new programs in their district. It's only been it's only been a year, less than a year. The funds went out in October. So um, there are a lot of questions that sort of get to what phase of the process you're in. So if you're still trying to find a community partner, working on like a needs assessment, there are opportunities for you to report that out in the tool. So don't feel rushed. Um, and we'd rather have you really plan thoughtfully, spend a lot of time in this phase before the money gets spent. And then I just wanted to point you guys to resources on the department webpage. We have the student wellness and success webpage that was created to help um, support these funds. In that we have funding information for districts and that includes um, links to those district finance reports. So you can see the exact number um, that your district is getting. It also includes some of the legislative requirements on that page. Um, we have a page for resources for districts and community partners where we've tried to sort of pull together all of um, ODE resources within those 11 allowable initiatives and organize them with links to other parts of the department website. In that, we've also included resources from City Connects. Um, so while that's not an ODE program, that is one of the allowable uses of the funds. So they've provided us with some unique resources um, for that page as well. We also have a frequently asked questions document that is just that, a lot of questions that we've gotten um, since the funds were, were released or even announced, um, and that's a, living document, so as we continue to get more um, similar questions, we do add to that and update it, so if you're feeling very lost and don't know where to start, that might be a really great place to um, dig in. 
And then we also have um, guidance for plan development. So in that, we really encourage districts to use a continuous improvement process in planning their funds. So tapping into existing leadership teams at the district level, building level, um, bringing in those community partners to help look at data and plan really thoughtfully around um, the funds. In there, there's also, again, that reporting tool resource. So while the reporting tool will come out in March, fingers crossed, um, that, is, <laughs> that is a resource that um, will really mirror what's on the website currently. And then the newest resource on the webpage is our ideas for innovation page. And that's where we're hoping to collect stories that we can highlight from districts doing a lot of this really great work. So on that page, there's a link for districts to fill out a survey if they choose to. Um, and then we'll be reviewing those with a group um, of stakeholders and different um, ODE employees and choosing some really great stories to highlight on our webpage. So we have some examples of work that has used the Student Wellness and Success Funds. So um, I mentioned earlier, we have Rock Hill School District that has been, um, has been able to use their Student Wellness and Success Funds to renovate a, um, an old school board building to build out a school-based health center. So that's really exciting, and then on the other other end of the spectrum there, we have Fairfield City Schools that um, has had their school-based health center since 2015. So they didn't use the student wellness money, but it's sort of inspirational to see what you could do with that funding over the course of a couple of years. So for example, if you wanted more information about the three districts that the governor highlighted this morning, one of which was Fort Fry, those reports are available at the link that uh, Ann is mentioning. And so there were a couple additional budget items um, that also go to support a lot of the work that you all may be involved in at the district level. So those were school safety grants, school climate grants, and then um, prevention education and professional development grants. So I will turn this over to Jill to go over those. Thank you, Anna. So good afternoon again, everyone. I am really excited to talk about the multiple opportunities that we have to ensure um, in Ohio we have safe and supportive learning. I always like to say safe and supportive teaching and learning, right, environments in Ohio schools. And so the work that I do at the Department of Education has very much been led by Title IV Part A. Historically, that was your safe and drug-free school dollars. Anyone familiar with that allocation of funds or that policy piece um, federally? Now it's known as student supports. And so historically, that has really looked at a continuum of behavioral health need from environmental strategies around school climate to everything to school safety. Um, as we know, even oftentimes school resource officers are seen in this space as a person that has helped support Title IV implementation, not only school safety, but prevention efforts. So um, the first funding opportunity we want to talk about in addition to the Student Wellness and Success Funds then would be the school safety grants. As we think about creating safe and supportive learning environments, school safety is a part of that conversation. That work, of course, is led by the Attorney General's Office, who supports our first responders in safety in Ohio, but in particular in partnership, again, 
um, with school districts to ensure emergency management plans and best practices in school safety are in place. And so there was an allocation of $12 million to um, the AG's office to support increased safety as well as school climate programs um, in Ohio schools. And so again, the AG leads that work. The second would be then the school climate grants. Um, the school climate grants, um, there was an allocation of $2 million um, for the 1920 school year, as well as the 2021 school year, in which school districts have the opportunity ultimately to expand um, the implementation of positive behavioral interventions and supports, of course, also known as PBIS as well as the implementation of SEL, as well as social-emotional learning initiatives. Um, again, with the goal, hopefully, to see a reduction in discipline incidents um, that result in suspension or sus expulsion of students, particularly in kindergarten through third grade. So the school climate grants are a very exciting opportunity to then look at a continuum of behavioral health needs for everything from school climate strategies, as was suggested, as well as how districts and schools can look at how they're identifying behavioral health need and then implementing strategies across that those tiers of support, be it at tier one, tier two, or tier three. So exciting opportunities with the school climate grant to frame the work as well as support the student wellness and success dollars and fundamentally work to support school safety. In the next slide, we'll talk about then prevention education. Um, as almost the fourth opportunity um, to support behavioral health and wellness in Ohio schools. What I provided first was a definition for prevention education. Reason being is prevention education is new, if you will, to education. It has historically been led um, across the country and in Ohio by the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services and the prevention work that has been legislated and done to reduce incidents of substance use and abuse um, and violence prevention. And so by definition, prevention work looks to works to improve or focuses on improving, if you will, um, the well-being of students by reducing these risk factors um, and to increase the likelihood of mental and emotional and behavioral health uh, disorders. Um, or to reduce the likelihood of those things occurring. We want to ultimately build protective factors and, and decrease opportunities where there may be student behaviors that then would cause them to be removed from school, cause them to have attendance issues, and then again, the goal ultimately is to reduce discipline incidents and suspension and expulsions. So we want prevention education to be provided in Ohio schools to help both staff and students to know what are protective factors and then how best they can um, implement and or see these behaviors in students um, in Ohio schools. One of the ways in which this is gonna be done in addition to the student wellness and success dollars are through the K through 12 prevention education funds. 
So here's why I'd like to pause and kind of get a sense from you all. Have you all been made familiar with the K through 12 prevention education funds just by a show of hands? Are these new or you all have heard of them? So there's a, there's a small group, right? And that's exciting to know. So in addition to the student wellness and success funds, the governor has said that he wants literally every student in every grade in every school to be receiving prevention education. So as Anna described, the student wellness and success funds are going straight to districts for these efforts. The prevention education funds, the K through 12 funds, are going to the county ADAM boards. The county Adam boards then have a requirement to work with local districts for, for identification of and implementation of evidence-based prevention practices. So in the biennium budget, again, we know that um, 20 million was given um, for these prevention efforts and then another 2 million, or I'm sorry, 2 million was given for professional development of prevention education and 18 million was given for the implementation of prevention programs in Ohio schools totaling 20 millions in this prevention space. And I tried to do some math earlier and I was thinking, you know, we have almost 700 million in student wellness and success funds along with another 20 million and I think that is just a um, largely, um, a large pot of money going to Ohio schools and we should be really excited about that level of investment in ensuring safe and supportive learning environments in Ohio schools, funding to support that, as well as professional development for staff to ensure they're better equipped in this space. So on the next slide, what I'm gonna talk a little bit more about is the um, prevention education funds. As I mentioned earlier, they are led by the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. Those funds are going to the county boards. County boards are required in their use of funds to partner with districts for the use of funds, for the planning, for the identification of prevention program needs. Um, in the next slide, I then go ahead and at least share for schools what um, would be appropriate partnerships for the use of these funds. Um, in the behavioral health space, we're of course talking about the boards of alcohol, drug, and mental health services, as well as any community-based behavioral health programs. In addition to this work, are partnerships with educational service centers. Educational service centers are also um, working with schools on the implementation or training and implementation of PBIS. And so, as I mentioned earlier, prevention programs are appropriate fits in PBIS frameworks to support teaching behavioral expectations as well as building skills for staff and students in addressing behavioral expectations as well as reducing behavioral incidents. So partners um, for schools would be behavioral health agencies that can assist in the identification of need as well as implementation of evidence-based programs. In the next slide, what I'm sharing is a requirement for the use of the prevention K through 12 funds. 
Um, the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services has required that one, that there is the partnership as described, but then those partners in the use of those funds complete the assessment tool. The assessment tool should be helping organizations at the district level really get an understanding of not only what their critical needs are, but what their strengths are, what level of capacity do they have, um, and assist them on not better identifying the landscape of behavioral need, what they have in place, and how best to utilize these dollars to build capacity in addressing behavioral needs as well as build capacity in buildings to, of course, increase instruction and reduce behavioral incidents. Um, in the next slide, um, what I'm sharing is really what is prescribed to school districts through the use of funds. Um, as well as the Adam boards in providing prevention education. And that is in addition to the partnership and the self-assessment tool that then a district plan is developed um, reflecting the partnerships, the use of PBIS um, or positive behavioral interventions and supports, and then as I've been suggesting, the alignment of social-emotional learning, um, trauma-informed school practices, or evidence-based practices and programs that fit the school and or district's PBIS approach to addressing behavioral needs. Jill? Yes. You say here the template for the plan of action is online. Is that on the same uh, student wellness and success plan? Not at all. This okay. is coming from the Department of Mental Health, so all of this okay. funding it's coming from the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. Um, the funding that comes from ODE is the Student Wellness and Success Funds. Okay, but these so come from the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, the self-assessment tool, and any training materials about the prevention dollars are, can be found on the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services Thank website. Thank you. Thank you. That was a good transition. On to, I think, then the next slide which are then the Prevention Education Professional Development Funds. And so this is always exciting when legislation meets education. Um, oftentimes we always think about the needs of the students as we've done in um, the pots of money we've talked about, services and supports available for students, but what's available for the adults to ensure um, fidelity and implementation of services and supports as well as sustainability. So also, as I identified earlier, there was $2 million, and this comes to the Department of Education, and there was a competitive grant um, put out for educational service centers, and educational service centers are then going to um, be responsible for working with the educational service centers in their region to do the following, and that is to then build the capacity of those other ESCs in partnership with the Adam Boards. The um, applicants had to show partnership with their Adam Board agencies for determining what the prevention education um, training would be, as well as aligning it back to those prevention dollars for K through 12 education. They're also responsible for uh, training and coaching um, ESCs in the use of the improvement process to support districts and schools in identifying and selecting 
prevention programming. Very much like Anna alluded to, we're asking schools to partner with these community professionals that have expertise in behavioral health to assist in the use of our planning tool in education, not only for identification of use of funds, but for sustainability of use of funds. Which really leads me then to the next point um, with the use of funds through the uh, professional development grant is then there would be the peer learning communities in each of those regions would, that would support each other in leveraging funding for prevention related work to sustain um, not only PD for staff, but of course prevention program locally. In the next slide, um, I do list the five ESCs that were awarded the Prevention Education Professional Development Grant. So as your district aligns with one of these ESCs or is within the region um, in which these ESCs will be providing um, services and support, know that in the Northeast region, we have the ESC of Northeast Ohio that was awarded funding in this space uh, for the Southeast region. It is Muskingum Valley ESC. Southwest region of the state is Montgomery County ESC. Northwest region is ESC of Lake Erie. And then the central region is the ESC of Central Ohio. Um, these ESCs were just awarded within the past 30 days and will be um, participating in startup activities for these grant funds. So outreach should be happening soon. Um, thereafter, um, next month with districts um, around any other ESCs, around what professional development training would look like. And so look forward to working with your local ESC as well on the rollout of the professional development of prevention education for your educators. I think ultimately, as we look at the next slide, all of our goals in this room is for the academic success of students in Ohio schools. As I was suggesting in the definition of prevention education, um, of course, we want to reduce risk factors as much as possible so that we can create um, positive school culture and climate, increase student attendance, ensure that through prevention education, um, and student wellness and success funds, we're building the social emotional competencies and capacities of everyone, staff and students in Ohio schools, to of course reduce risk factors and incidents of discipline, maintain teacher retention at higher rates, and of course see positive outcomes academically as well as behavioral health. Anna, would you like to, to close us? So our key takeaways here are really that Ohio is investing in um, these collaborative partnerships to help meet the needs of the whole child, and that we're really putting um, as many resources as we can to help you guys meet those, those needs on the department website. So if you want to skip ahead two slides to our two. One more. Yes, so um, for our resources, we have the department webpage. So while the self-assessment tool is on the Mental Health and Addiction Services website, we have a lot of information on the prevention education professional development work and prevention education in general. So as you can see here, if you just search those keywords for student wellness and success, any version of student wellness, student success, something along those lines will get you to the right um, web page. 
And then you'll also see the two email addresses listed um, below there. So the whole child email address um, is the inbox for Jill and I's office. So all of those emails we, um, we can take a look at. And then if you specifically have questions about student wellness and success funds, we do have the wellness and success inbox that also gets monitored by our team of wellness and success folks. So that uh, concludes the talking at you part yes. of the <laughs> session. We would now like to convene the talking with you part. Um, we're hoping, oh, and I see a hand, sorry, Sarah, all the way in the back of the room. And then there's another hand right in front of that. We'll get to you uh, in just a minute. So as soon as Sarah gets back there, um, I do have a couple of other questions, but I won't do it yet because we've got one around here. Cool. Hi there. Hey, if our local ESC was not on uh, the ones that you showed there that received some of the grant money, is that still an option or? Is there anything moving forward? So what we are asking each of the five ESCs to do is to work with the ESCs in their region to fulfill the opportunity to provide prevention education to um, the staff in each, of their, in each of their districts. So really at this point, we're looking at the collaboration between the ESCs that were awarded and those in their region. That is a directive, a part of the grant application that they had to speak to and how they would be partnering with ESCs in that, in that region. So if there's a particular region that you're interested in that we could talk more about, I'll be glad to talk about how those partnerships can take place. Hello, um, my question is about the funding for the next, so say for instance, the district does not utilize all the funds this fiscal year, does it carry over to the next fiscal year or does that kind of evaporate and you have to start fresh or how does that work? So the student wellness funds do not need to be used in this fiscal year or even within the two years that um, they're currently being funded. So say you get $100,000, you can spend 50 of it this year, save 50 of it to add to the pot of money that you'll get next year as well. Um, if you and your community partner, again, come up with a five-year plan, it can be used over the course of the next five years. So there's no timing obligation. The same is the case with the prevention education um, professional development dollars for the educational service centers that were awarded that. Um, the school year, we very much like the student wellness and success funds, really anticipate some initial partnership relationships taking place, planning taking place, not necessarily rolling out a full bone professional development curriculum between now and June 30. So we do understand the need for planning time and that funds, there is allowable use of funds in the next school year as well. And this, by the way, is kind of a departure for those of you who work with treasurers or are treasurers. Mm -hmm. This is a, a departure from the way treasurers normally think of money, uh, school money. They think of it as lasting for a certain number of years and then going away. So you may have to do some <clears throat> information providing with your treasurer to make sure that they understand that this money is different. And I understand that the auditor's office is working with treasurers to make sure that they understand that. 
Our fiscal team and the state auditor's office and everyone has sort of been working on like getting messaging out to treasurers, so they are very well informed of the dollars, so it shouldn't be shocking if you do approach them about um, the funding. Awesome, thank you. So I have a part two to the question. Um, for the prevention education funds, are those the same way or is that differently allocated? No, that's what I was just um, supporting as well, that we know that there's a planning period needed as well, and that those funds can be rolled over to the next school year also. There's a question, oh, there's one over here. I'm sorry, I didn't see it. So I have, I have two questions. One is, as a non-for-profit organization providing mental health education, awareness, and training, do we qualify to receive the funding? For the Student Wellness and Success? Yes, funding? in the schools. Yeah, so um, I believe, I mean, without knowing much about your organization, um, that could fall under a nonprofit organization with experience serving children. Um, and I would encourage that if you are doing more prevention work to align with the county board in the area that you are working in to see how all of those services could align between the two paths of funding. But okay. the nonprofit could not apply directly to ODE for the funding or Correct. the department. So, um, yeah, so the community organizations, districts have to partner with them, but ultimately districts have gotten the funding. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say the best outreach to be able to be providing those services in a school mm -hmm. is to reach out to the district directly. There's no, um, there's no application process for the community agencies to reach out to ODE. Okay, so we, what you are saying is we reach out directly to ODE? So I, I would suggest reaching out to the school districts in the area that you um, are working with. So none of the money is going to ODE in any way. We don't have any control over um, how districts are planning or using the funds aside from the two requirements um, that they fall within the initiatives and then they partner with the community agency. So I'd suggest taking a pitch to the school district. See, um, we provide learning throughout Ohio. So uh, should we contact that particular area where the school is requesting through that school district? Is that how it will work? So, I can take this one. I think I can take this one. Um, you would, I mean, the only people who have fun to, money to spend are districts, community schools, JVSDs, and STEM schools. Okay. So you would have to be a partner of one of those or multiple I mean, there's no limit on the number of districts or schools that you could partner with, but you would have to partner with them in order to provide services paid for with these funds. Okay, thank you. And one more uh, question. Yes, ma'am. I would add to that, there's two partnership approaches you have, ma'am. You can, for the student wellness and success dollars, you go through the local school district. Okay. For, to provide prevention education in Ohio schools, you align with the county board. That's okay. where the dollars are going for the prevention. So there's two opportunities now in Ohio, which is extremely exciting, to provide prevention intervention education. One is through the, directly through the districts, not at all through us. The other one is then, because the money is going to the county boards, 
So whatever the county board is in your region, they would then be able to talk with you about how, who they're, what districts they're partnering with and their utilization of funds to provide prevention education in which you could support in service delivery. Mm -hmm. So I work with Ms. Kathy Oberlin, and uh, I rep I'm an executive director for Red Flags National. And so uh, oftentimes, because school doesn't have funding to invite us within their school to do the training program for their entire teachers and the staff, they, uh, we host the programs at the ESC centers, and then we publicize our program. So does that count as a professional development if all the guidance counselors and the psychologists and social workers come? So the prevention education professional development funds are gonna be required for all educators and staff. So the third opportunity then is to work with the educational service center in your region. So for student level services and supports, it's either gonna be, it's gonna be the district for the student wellness and success or your Adam boards for the students, for the adults to get professional development education to them. It's gonna be your educational service center. Okay, thank you. And Not one another question. Mm -hmm. You talked about um, school culture and what was Climate. the word? Climate. And climate. Mm -hmm. Are you addressing any needs uh, for uh, cultural competency and mm. diversity <laughs> since many schools that I have been called are struggling with uh, like refugee you know, mm -hmm. children or the mm -hmm. immigrant children? Yes, ma'am. So I would uh, take the approach of positive behavioral interventions and supports as a framework for addressing not only school climate and culture, but implementation of prevention, intervention, or treatment services. Along with the PBIS framework nationally is um, evidence as well as supports for that framework being done from a culturally responsive approach. So yes, PBIS as a framework nationally and as a body of work does support that. And so what districts would, can do in their implementation of PBIS is ensure that when they're looking at their data, they're looking at their student populations and how that framework would be used to meet the needs of their, their, their school community. Thank you. And two uh -huh. additional items. Um, the Department of Education actually is working oh, yeah. on um, cultural competency trainings. Absolutely. So those are online as well. Mm -hmm. If you search that on our department webpage, there are some resources there. And the Student Wellness and Success Funds, one of the allowable uses is professional de development around cultural competence. So as you go um, to either ESCs or school districts to sort of pitch your organization, that could be something additional that if, if you do provide that, that is one of the allowable uses for the funds. And the goal would ultimately be to make that connection between instruction and behavioral health in this space of cultural competency. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a question here. Yeah, regarding the student success funds, I heard a common concern from a number of superintendents that this is not new money, but monies that have been pulled from other pots, and they're concerned that they are, for their budget, um, that in order to balance it, that this is not. It's an illusion that it's new money. So I wanted to clarify, because I get you know involved in conversations. I want to make sure that if that is uh, not true, that we are uh, clarifying that. 
So we've had a lot of um, questions from districts and sort of concerns that um, with flat funding, they aren't able to um, really expand services. Um, this is a new pot of funding that is specific to this. So it didn't take away funding from school districts, but just through other funding means, there are certain um, areas where districts were not able to get more funding for different things. So um, yeah. We, we've heard that one a little bit. But I, I mean, I think at least it appears that the governor's got a commitment to extend this funding at least into the next biennium. So we're looking four years out, including this fiscal year. Um, who, who knows what level that will be, but he seemed pretty adamantly supportive of extending the funding. We have placed some of our money into um, outside therapeutics, mental health services coming into our schools through either 21st century after school programming monies or this new money. Um, what we're coming to find out is we as school classroom teachers and school officials have probably always um, leaned on those folks as probably spreading greatness of teaching in this area to us. We are now nine months into having our county mental health services funded to be in our district and we're learning that they're having just as much of a difficult time coming from a clinical based into classroom based services or small group services <laughs> and we're not really learning or gleaning what we thought we would from those mental health specialists um, any thoughts on that um, as we you know we've, we've always said gosh schools need to walk arm in arm with our community resources and this is one of our first experiences in the mental health realm where we are locking arms with what we think are the greatest assets in our community for mental health services. And we're met with a little bit of their disappointment that they can't help us enough. Things like, gosh, we've never seen a group behave that way before. Or um, we're not, you know, we're, we too are scratching our heads on how to respond. So any thoughts on that? Um. I know this is sort of a frustrating answer, um, but a lot of those relationships take time. And so um, obviously incorporating those folks into your professional development opportunities and bringing them in as much as you can to the school community is sort of the advice that um, I give to districts. And then also over time, once um, clinicians really um, become more used to the school space. So my, my role at the department is in school-based healthcare. So I work at connecting school districts to healthcare providers. And there's a lot of work that is done really early on to make sure that they understand that like this isn't run like their normal clinical practice and that there are a lot of adjustments to be made there. Um, we do have some resources on the school-based healthcare support toolkit page that can sort of help um, bridge some of those communication um, issues that might be taking place. But I think just working, um, working as much as you can on the district side to incorporate them and make them feel seen in your environment um, and just continuing to do that over time will help the partnership grow. And I see a hand in the back yeah, that might in the back. be a response to this yeah, question. I feel like, I feel I like there's something to contribute here. For sure. Hi, I just want to say, as the current president and the past president of the Ohio School Counselor Association, 
That is our wheelhouse. I mean, our domains are academic, career, and social-emotional. We are trained, licensed mental health professionals to work with students given a license by this Department of Education until the point of treatment and diagnosis. Those, the clinical counselors we work with, it's a, it's a wonderful place. But to answer your question, if you're taking a look at maybe incorporating more school counselors that are trained in the education field, but also mental health professionals, that would help a little bit mm -hmm. too. Yeah, that's which is kind yeah. of what, where I was going to go. I was yeah. going to mention the one thing we've talked about a lot is flexibility. If you're finding that your current partner or your current partner's vendor isn't fulfilling the role that you hoped they would fulfill, look for other partners. Um, it's more work, but it, the, the whole point of this, this fund, correct me if I'm wrong, is to provide the services that students need. And if it's not working, try again. And a question that came up, I think, in earlier or at some point, I swear it happened, um, was can we partner with more than one community agency or community partner for these funds? And um, I definitely encourage it. So if there isn't something that you're getting from one service provider, I think it's important to consider um, having a conversation with them. Maybe they're better for tier three supports and you need better group counseling or something sort of in the middle and there's another partner that can come to the table and provide those services, you should definitely look into that. It's definitely not one size fits all. <laughs> so. I think there's a hand up front. I want to throw out a question while... We have another question. Okay, cool. I um, have been listening to this all, and I think the teachers are a hot mess, and we're asking them to do this. And, like, how do we deal with that, or what one of these funds can we get teachers healthy because they're not? And... Like, I mean, I'm hearing teachers screaming in the hallway, screaming at their kids, and then you're saying, hey, teach social-emotional learning things to these kids. So is there something within this funding that can help with that? And then I'm also thinking, okay, so we're doing these things, and then it's going to end again. And that in itself is traumatic for teachers. So I can sort of address uh, both pieces of that. So again, my role at the department is to do school-based health partnership work. Um, and so that's really one of the more sustainable ways to use this funding. If you, um, if you build these partnerships with out outside healthcare providers, a lot of times they will reimburse for services the same way they reimburse in their offices. So that doesn't necessarily come at an additional cost to the district. So if you build out space or something of that nature, you can have a provider come in and sort of set up shop for longer than two years or four years, depending on the time of the funding. But oftentimes when you have those relationships and you um, have an eye on serving the community and serving um, staff as well, mm -hmm. those providers are there for that, that too. So um, unless you're specifically hiring a pediatrician into the space or some um, childcare provider, a lot of times you can extend those services to staff and families. So we see school-based health centers that not only serve students in the school district, but they serve staff 
they serve um, teachers, they serve bus drivers, they do bus driver physicals because it's the most convenient space for them to um, accomplish that. A lot of them are open to the community, so then it becomes sort of a community hub for the, for the city, school, everywhere. Yeah, I turn back to this slide just because I wanted to remind everyone of the range of options that you have for the use of student wellness and success, which does include some specific professional development, but in other areas you may be able to put professional development. And I just wanted to share a quote I remember from last year when we were doing a lot of student mental health programming. Um, one of the people in the room said, a dysregulated teacher can never help a dysregulated child. And I think that's something that we have to remember. We do have to invest in the adults who interact with kids because they need it too. I was um, speaking in Columbus last summer about teacher, and one of the participants spoke up and said that half of their students were affected in their school were affected by the. Um, tornadoes in Dayton and I asked her about the teachers and she just kind of looked at me and said she goes I have no idea we haven't thought about that and so that's I, I just I keep thinking about that we're putting so much emphasis on the kids and I'm almost wondering if it's gonna backfire on us if we don't like try to get more of this on the teachers it, too it has to be holistic I think you have to look at the whole school environment which is where we get to school climate you have to look at the whole school environment. You can't just isolate one aspect. I mean, obviously we're there for the students, but you, you can't, again, a dysregulated system can't help a dysregulated child. So you have to think about it holistically. Any more, one more question? I just wanted to note the student wellness and success funds. I don't know if you saw professional development and trauma-informed care was there. Um, and again, just the fact that there are prevention education dollars for professional development. In teaching prevention education, hopefully we will kind of get to some better understanding amongst educators about a place of wellness in operating from their protective, their protective factors as well as young people. So it's kind of like ragu, it's in there and, and there's opportunities for adults as well as students with this funding. I just think we have to message it more because I think our first nature in education historically has always been the students, the students, the students. And we just have to kind of shift that paradigm and these funds allow us that opportunity to do so by embedding those opportunities um, in both funding opportunities. We have Thanks three and a half minutes, talk fast. Okay, that might be tough. Um, so our district wellness policy is in your district as well. We'll have a specific clause in there about the adults in your district as well. If not, every year it's up for annual review and it's, it's high time just from your observations alone that it's a part of our holistic wellness plan. We're on teacher number two in our district that's out on mental health and kind of dysregulated type things. Um, one thing that's really helped us is using our employee assistance impact programming and make sure that that's not just something we hand people on a flyer, but we bring them in for our professional development days, give them private spaces to talk with our adults and to maybe connect them to things. But I can't agree more that our, our dysregulated adults cannot work <laughs> and, and be great role models for dysregulated uh, kids. The, my question though is um, you mentioned the school-based health efforts and I'm on your website right now on, on ODE. There's this, there's this drumbeat in Lake County, Northeast Ohio, where I'm from, where, about health information 
families giving consent for health information for um, children. Do you, do you ever see us working in a triangulated effort, of course, with the consent of our parents, that we will have ha access to health records that deal perhaps with mental health issues that we could go years without knowing without this type of information, and also that other triangulation being with our safety forces, our school resource officers, knowing where drug addiction's happening in the homes and knowing that we just had a horrific situation happen in our community that we might go weeks without knowing in the school environment. There's a lot there. There's, There's a, a lot. lot. That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jill just made a comment that um, the Handle with Care program, I think, is a really great program um, for sort of working with students that are experiencing trauma that's very immediate. So um, without the need for any sort of like consenting, data sharing, anything of that nature, um, it really involves like law enforcement, school districts, everyone to ensure that that kid, um, that the school environment is really um, sensitive to the needs of that child without any sharing, without sharing any protect, protected information. Um, as far as like data sharing in general for um, that information, districts who do um, have these behavioral health entities that come work in the school or even um, primary care providers that are skilled in diagnosing um, certain behavioral health needs and then referring out for them. Um, districts and providers have found really great ways to sort of get to work within the bounds of HIPAA and FERPA to share information as needed. And so you get someone, usually a gatekeeper, like a school nurse or a school social worker, school counselor, someone with some sort of, um, some sort of healthcare background to be um, the person involved on both sides of the space. So you have the student's educational data and then you have the student's um, healthcare data. And um, often that takes a little time and trust for the provider to be in the community for a bit um, before people start really giving that the thumbs up. But for school-based health services in general, most, um, most of those consent situations occur um, as they would in any doctor's office. So a parent has to sign off on forms to let their kid be seen. And that communication happens with the parent and then the parent can choose to sort of widen the, um, the scope of who sees that information. I just want to put in one plug for the lawyers. Um, at the beginning, when you're setting up these kinds of wellness centers, it's sometimes a good idea to bring your legal counsel in and say, hey, can you help us set up some protocols for how we um, manage the relationships between FERPA and HIPAA and parents and students and health providers and school employees. Because if you have clear guidelines that an attorney helped you set up at the beginning, you will be so happy in the end. In the end. Yes, Happier. I believe one of the resources under the resources section on that page is US Department of Education and US um, Health and Human Services put out joint guidance on how to connect HIPAA and FERPA for school-based data sharing. 
also on that page, a quick plug for everyone, are Ohio's Healthy Students profiles. So as you're doing needs assessments for this work and the self-assessment for the prevention education work, um, we actually at Education have a data sharing partnership with Medicaid that allows us to connect that data and share out to school districts. So those profiles and the tokens um, for districts to see those profiles went out on February 3rd to superintendents and their designees. So those are a really helpful resource to see um, some of the concerns, health concerns and academic concerns of the Medicaid enrolled population in the district. Um, that'll really depend on what your Medicaid population looks like um, depending on income stuff at the district, but I think those are a really useful tool that you can really um, have concrete data looking at your students' needs. I think Jill gets the last word. Yeah. Well, good. Thank you. Uh, so you, we always like examples. Like the question is always, who's doing this great in the state? And so our office has had the opportunity federally to work with educational service centers across the state. And because these are my friends, I'm going to use them as an example. And so my colleagues and friends from Greene County Educational Service Center, if you could raise your hand. These people right here in the about midway through have um, school-based mental health services in place in Greene County and have been doing it for years. So if we want to, if you want to know how that's done effectively and how they've dealt with all those consent and, and data sharing, I share my two colleagues, Dr. Callahan and Grace uh, as well, um, because they have been doing it for years and have um, best practices in place in, in, that, in that space. So I want to thank them for their great work. You're welcome, Doc. <laughs> she tied a beautiful bow on that. I'll turn things over to Sarah. Thanks, right, guys. Can we please give our panelists a round of applause for all the information that they shared with us? And it sounds like a lot more resources are coming out as well that will be shared with you after the presentation. So thank you.